I hate to admit it, uh, but anytime I hear anything on servant leadership, I always get a bit discouraged because I realize just how much work I need to do in this area. Servant leadership is the most effective leadership style there is. This is the leadership style that Jesus emulated of his, in his ministry on earth. And whenever I hear about this and, and I read books on leadership and servant leadership, it can't help make me just feel a little bit badly because I know I have so much more room to grow. It, it's not like I don't necessarily enjoy serving other people. It's just that it doesn't come naturally to me. It, it actually takes a lot of effort and forethought to serve. I've shared this before in a sermon probably once or twice before, but when I, whenever I attend uh, Celebrate Recovery on five, at 5.30 on Tuesday nights where all of you are all invited still to come every Tuesday at 5.30, uh, after the meal, I typically take the chairs down and I put the tables away. And I hate doing it every time right? It's a sacrifice for me. And I do it because I need to do it. The, the name tag I wear, it says Jeremy's servant leader. And I need to do it because this is just what I need to do. I'm a serve. I'm going to serve. And, uh, and sometimes I don't like it. But I do it. And I do it faithfully when I attend there. I don't always feel like serving, I don't always feel like serving. Sometimes I have to be pushed to serve. And there are those in this congregation who have served as wonderful examples to me on servant leadership and just doing things without being told or just stepping up and, and seeming to be serving in all kinds of areas in our church. This is not an exhaustive list, but these are just a few people who have stood out to me. The Morks, the Elders, Dan Newfeld, Reba Becker, Linda Tomins, the Spencers, the Hamiltons, and the Kaufmans. They've always just stood out to me as people who just tend to serve and pretty much every part of the church that's going on at any given moment. And I'm appreciative to that. And there are so many more in this congregation who I know serve, who volunteer and sacrifice your time for this church, and I am grateful for that as well. Again, there's so many more people uh, I could list in here. But when I see a lot of you serving, and when I see those people serving, I'm like, man, dang, how? look at their servant hearts. They just, they're just doing it. They're not complaining. They're not grumbling. Why do I so quickly grumble and complain, especially when it comes time to serving? Well, I can tell you why. It's because I am a sinful person. And at my core, I am extremely selfish and self-centered. It's because in my nature, I don't want to serve. I want to be served. I don't have the right motives behind why I need to serve. I exclude God. I focus the attention on myself and what I can gain. And in my sinful nature, I am selfish, and I don't have the right attitude, and I don't have the right motives behind service. That's just me. As we go through the book of Philippians, today we're on chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Pastor John has been preaching through the book of Philippians for a few weeks now. We're going to continue this series uh, through February, and the overarching theme is shine. Shine your light. Shine to be a witness to this world. Well, at the beginning of chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is discussing humility, specifically how God humbled himself. Jesus took on the nature of a 
servant. In verse, starting in verse 7, it says, He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by, coming, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. As we get into verse 12, the Apostle Paul is continuing to implore his readers that the ministry that they are conducting is not for nothing. He is telling them that something amazing is going to be experienced, something wonderful. There is work to be done, however, in order to experience this. The Apostle Paul explains in in verse 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. How? How does he do this? Well, first, he does it when we are choosing not to complain and argue. Verse 14, and just as this is a reiteration from the previous passage, Christ humbling himself, Christ humbling himself, there was an action that happened after Christ chose to take the position of a servant. It says, starting in verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under, uh, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now we look at this passage today. There is a similar pattern. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling without arguing or complaining. Why? Starting midway through verse 15. Then you will shine like the stars of the sky. You'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that you did not labor in vain. Right up front, Paul kind of gives us this formula. God did this. This is the result. If you do this, you can expect this as the result. And because Christ humbled himself, he was exalted. And because you serve and you act without grumbling or complaining, you too will shine like the stars in the sky. You'll be able to boast about your work here on earth. But in order to do this, you must first realize that it is about being obedient. This is truly an amazing part of this passage. If we think about this, the God of creation, the one whom all things came into being, through all power, glory, and honor, came through the power of Christ, he chose to take on the very nature of a servant. And he humbled himself as an example to us. He chose, in fact, not to call out to God in heaven to have assistance. If we read in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26, verse 53 through 54, Jesus says, Do you not think that I can call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? That's 12,000 angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus took on this position of a humbled servant. He had the power, he had the authority, he had the ability to call out to God and to have all of these things at his disposal, and he still chose 
to be obedient, obedient to death, even obedient to death on a cross, the most humiliating form of execution during that day. Jesus took on this example of a humble servant as an example to us. And the Apostle Paul here is saying to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not to suggest that our salvation is achieved through our works, but rather that we work it out as a result of our salvation, that we will continue to press on, continue to work towards kingdom building. Now, without getting into the Greek nuances of this text, I will just, and you're welcome, uh, I will just tell you that this passage is referring to not just the individuals, but how we are needing to be unified as a congregation. And this is what he was addressing to the church in Philippi. One of the character traits that I have always appreciated in leaders that I look up to is that they are not complainers. They are not argumentative. In fact, the leaders that I look up to tend to bring unity. They call out arguing. They seek to be unified together, and they don't complain. If they have those feelings inside of them, they keep them to themselves. Grumbling and complaining is easy to do. Is it, raise your hand if you think it's easy to grumble and complain. Who thinks it's easy to grumble and complain during COVID season? Yeah? It's easy, right? There's always changes that are happening. There are things we can't do. There's things not that we can do. And then they're, they're taken away again. And we're just left with, man, what are, this is hard. I want to complain. Why, why isn't the church doing more of this? Why isn't the church doing less of this? And it's so easy to get wrapped up in all of these things. There's a saying in the army that says, if soldiers aren't complaining, then something's wrong. If soldiers aren't complaining, there's something wrong. And, and I was, I was a, as a new leader in the army, I was thinking, well, what does this mean? Well, it means that in the very nature of our soldiers, they complain. They don't always want to do what they're told. And sometimes there can be complaining. And if they're not complaining about something, they're plotting against you. So be wary anytime your soldiers are not complaining. The best example I can think of this is when I was a platoon leader in Iraq, it was, I was in northern Iraq in Mosul. It was July of 2003, and it was so hot out. And someone in our company came and found like a stock, like a like a stockpile of all these drinks. And so they load them up in a, in a big container. They pull up to our company area and we open up the doors and there are just stacks and stacks of like grape Fanta and orange Fanta and Sprite and Coke and root beer, non-alcoholic beer. And we're just like, yeah. And it's like, so we're all out there and we're, we're unloading all these drinks. We're putting them in tents. Within two minutes, someone's like, Oh, man, they don't have any Dr. Pepper. And it's like, dude, you just got all this free stuff, stuff you didn't even know about, and now you're complaining about there not being Dr. Pepper, not being granted, right? Dr. Pepper is pretty good. But this is the nature of soldiers, and it's so easy to get caught up in what we don't have. It's so easy to get focused on what didn't happen that we lose track of the very gifts that God has given to us in the first place. 
We complain about anything and everything. And we know that there are some people who tend to complain more than others. The church in Philippi, there were complainers. The church in Colossae, there were complainers. There's complainers in churches today. They're argumentative. In verse 13, the Apostle Paul is reminding the church in Philippi that it is God who is doing this work in and among you. Remember that. Because as soon as you stop focusing your attention on whom you are serving, you're going to start complaining and arguing. So you've got to keep your focus back on God whom you are serving first. Look at verse 14. Grumbling and complaining. That is the biggest sabotage of any organization or any church. If you want to break down a church and organization quickly, allow arguing, complaining, and quarrels to happen, and you will see an organization begin to fall. We lose our focus when we focus on ourselves. We lose our focus when we stop focusing on Christ. And Pastor John mentioned this a couple of weeks ago with the people that were in the congregation in Philippi in chapter 4, and how these two people, people were starting to take sides on that. And Paul is saying, look, you have to be united in Christ. You have to be of one mind in Christ. In fact, the entire message of the book of Philippians is about unity. It's about togetherness. It's about getting along together. It's about Paul saying, look, join me being of one mind and one spirit. We're going to do ministry together. And when I complain and when I choose to take my focus off whom I am serving— who is ultimately Jesus Christ, I get complainy. I get argue right, You like my language? I know Taryn's liking my use of the English language right here. I get argue and complaining-y. And it's not goody. Okay? It's baddy. You're welcome. All right. I need to be humbled, and I need to choose humility rather than fighting for my own sake. It was just yesterday. I was going up and down stairs, up and down stairs. It was, it was at night. The kids were in bed. And I came and I sat down and Carrie says, hey, can you grab me something? And I just went, <sighs> she's like, you know, you just, you just hud, right? You just, you just, uh, you just complained. And I was like, I know, I did, I'm sorry. She's like, no, no, you've already ruined it. Like, I don't even, like, even if you give me this stuff, I'm not going to be happy. Like, you, you, your heart's not right. And she was right. Why do I just so quickly complain when being asked to serve? Man. Well, just like this church in Philippi, I think we need to, to recognize our tendency to argue and complain as well. It not only hurts our relationship with one another, but it hurts our witness to those outside of our church. If we're arguing, complaining, and being divisive within our own congregation, what kind of a witness are we being to the outside world? In fact, Paul calls them the crooked and warped generation in the church in Philippi. And he's like, look, Shining like the stars in the sky is about your witness for them to be able to see Christ's light shining in you. 
in order to be a witness to this world. Sometimes I ask my kids to do chores, and sometimes they do it without grumbling or complaining. I don't know about you and and maybe with you growing up, but maybe there are times when you were asked to do something as a kid and you might have grumbled and you might have complained. And sometimes you might have received a consequence for that. Some of your consequences might have been more than others in this congregation, but the reason why your parents did this, the reason why I call my kids out when they're grumbling or complaining is because, number one, it's annoying, right? It's, it's frustrating to hear the grumbling. Has this ever happened in your house? Just, you know, raise your hand. You don't need to nudge the person next to you saying it's them that's doing it, or you can just point to yourself, Right? But number two, we're being trained on how to do things the right way. And there's consequences when we choose not to obey, and we do it with grumbling. One of the sayings that we have is, uh, do it without delay, or do it without complaint. I don't know, I just forgot it now. I didn't write it down. But as a parent, I see the need for my kids to be respectful and less complainy, because I want them to develop the trait of a servant's heart. I want them to know that serving is a natural and normal part of how we live our lives. Although it's not natural, I want it to become more natural in their lives. Let me talk about now verse 17 and 18. Paul here again is reiterating at the heart and the attitude of the service. He says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This drink offering that Paul is referring to is is Old Testament language, right? This is an offering that is being poured out for no other use than as a sacrifice. This isn't like some of the other sacrifices that they did at the temple where the meat that was being sacrificed in the temple, some of that was being given to the priests as kind of like their compensation for all their service, right? The drink offering poured out was not getting any return to the person that was pouring it out. It was completely sacrificial. It's simply, I am pouring this out out of obedience to you, God. I am pouring this out for you. It's not benefiting me at all. It is a complete sacrifice, in fact, of why I'm choosing to do that. It's about obedience. So if God is asking you to do something, just like I told you that there was kind of a formula at the beginning part of the service, these being poured out like a drink offering sometimes is just about being obedient and not receiving anything for your work. You are serving, you are giving yourself, and you are going to the ends of the earth proclaiming the gospel for no other benefit other than obedience. I serve because Christ has asked me to do and and has asked me to do it, and sometimes that's all I need. Sometimes there is no benefit for me. It's just about being Obedient, And if it means having to die for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that's what has to happen. In fact, the Apostle Paul was being persecuted because of what he believed, because of what he was preaching. And sometimes it meant going all the way, even receiving a death sentence because of what you 
believe. Paul is telling them, look, you have to get beyond yourself. You're going to have to get past the bickering, the arguing, the complaining, the grumbling. And if this means you have to give up your own life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that's what you're going to have to do. And hold firmly. And hold firmly because your integrity as your witness is at stake. Your integrity is at stake. You will receive a reward. You will shine like the stars in the heaven, but it might not feel like you're benefiting for it at the time. And Paul says, I'm right there with you. I'm right along, pressing along with you in this ministry. I get it. You can keep doing it. Keep going. Don't give up. God is working in you to fulfill his good purpose. Jeremy, when you feel like being selfish all the time, when you feel like being selfish, just stop and serve and remember that it is me ultimately that you are serving. It isn't man. Paul reminds the church in Colossae of the very same thing. He says, you have to get your mind focused on whom you are serving first and foremost in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. He says, whatever you do, work for it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. There was a statement that I adopted from Grace Covenant Church in Chicago many years ago. It's probably in 2012 or 2013. And as part of the relational covenant, it says, we will choose to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. We will choose to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. And I took this, and this is one of our family mottos now that we try living by. But one of the things about living sacrificially is that when we serve and we go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, sometimes it isn't convenient for us. Sometimes the sacrificial service means sacrificing your time, sacrificing your ability and desire to do anything else besides what you are being asked to do. And I am guilty of that many times. Living sacrificially sometimes means being inconvenienced. And for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, sometimes we need to be inconvenienced and to serve and step up and do it without grumbling or complaining. Many of us choose not to serve because we don't have time to serve. We don't have the desire to serve. Nobody is pushing us to serve. And I admit it, it is hard to sometimes serve without grumbling or complaining. But I'll tell you that every time I am continuing to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, and I am relying on God, and I am seeing Christ as whom I am ultimately serving, life goes much better. Life is much better. So that I may become blameless and pure. A child of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. This is what I am working towards. And sometimes I am working towards just being poured out as a drink offering for no other benefit than to serve Christ. Then my witness, I will shine like the stars in the sky. And then I am assured that I will be able to boast on the day of Christ and that I did not run in vain. And even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, I am serving because it is coming out of faith. 
there is a benefit for serving. And I acknowledge that. And it's fine to feel happy and fulfilled when we serve. But the less we serve, the more selfish and self-absorbed we can get. And so sometimes serving as a spiritual discipline is something that we all, including myself, need to adopt. And I'm not saying all of this to guilt you in to serving more here at Countryside Covenant Church. I'm saying this as someone your JV pastor here struggles with, okay? But since we're on the subject, you've got a connection card that you received when you walked through the door. And if you're just interested, even just stepping up a little bit to see what might God have for me here and how might I be able to serve the body of Christ here at this church, go ahead and just mark it down. And maybe in your comments, you just say, hey, you know, I'm terrible at serving right now and I don't want to serve, but maybe God is convicting me of needing to serve. And so could you help point me in the right direction? Again, there are a few people here who have been amazing examples to me and so many more that have been great examples to me as well for serving and being, having a heart of serving. And sometimes for many of the rest of us, it is difficult to have that heart. But I will tell you that the more that that is developed in me, the easier it is to be able to serve. And so I want to encourage all of you just to think about that. Think about your time, think about how you feel inconvenienced at times, but think about ultimately what we get to benefit. This is Christ whom we are serving. And ultimately at the end, we're going to receive a reward for what we've done, even if we don't receive things in the, in the beginning. So encourage all of you to, to fill that out or get in contact with one of the staff members here at the church and see how you can get plugged in. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for your love to us. Thank you for being an incredible, an incredible example of being a servant leader. Thank you for showing us the way. Thank you for demonstrating your love to us, that you even humbled yourself. You could have called on your angels and escaped at any time, at any point in your ministry, but you chose to continue to live it out because God is working in you to have your good purpose be fulfilled. And so thank you for that. Thank you for this place. Thank you for challenging me in the sermon to realize where I need to serve more and uh, continue to help all of us develop a heart of service. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.